All right, guys, I just want to say welcome tonight. We're so glad you're here, and I'm not just saying that. I know some of you hear me say that every week, how we're glad you're here, but I really, really mean it, because all week long we pray for each of you that God would bring you to this space, whether you're new or whether you've been here a ton of times. We pray that God would somehow get you here, and then as a group we could encounter the love of God together. So I'm not just saying that. I'm so glad that each one of you are here, each specific person, each person who comes in this room. I'm always so glad that you're here. So thank you for coming tonight. And if you're new tonight, we are going to continue our James series. So two weeks ago, we unpacked part one, which was James 1, verse 1 through 18. And now we're going to pick it up in verse 19. Um, But before we get into that, I just wanted to share a bit of my heart and what God did on the mission trip for me. Uh, So you heard a little bit from the students who went already. But, you know, God did amazing things on this trip. And I think he really did two things, two specific things. The first thing that I felt like God did for each of us is he reminded us of how much he loves each one of us individually. You know, he does love us as a group, as a group of followers of Jesus, but there's this individual love that God has for each person on our planet. Each person, doesn't matter if they've obeyed him their whole life or they haven't, he has this unstoppable, uncontainable, unchanging love for each person. When you really think about that, that should blow your mind. You know, I was talking with different uh, guys on the street, homeless dudes. You know, one guy was telling me about all the fights he gets in on the streets, gets put in jail like every other week. And, and God loves that guy just as much as he loves one of us who, you know, follow Jesus or whatever. And that just really blew my mind. And the second thing he showed us was his desire for us to step out of our comfort zone and to live out our faith by engaging those who are far from him and sharing his love with them. So whether that be through feeding the hungry, very practical thing, encouraging the sexually broken, and telling them that, hey, it's never too late to change. It's never too late to be the person that God created you to be. Or whether that could just be through engaging a stranger in a conversation. You know, or so many times I'm in the mocker union meeting with you guys, and there'll be a student sitting by themselves, and, and all I have to do is just say, hey, how's it going? But I'm always timid. You know, I'm scared to do that. But God called us to step out of our comfort zone. You know, one thing we did is we rode a train. We just, you know, jumped on a subway. And they said to us, they said, all right, find a stranger and talk to them. I never do that. That's not my personality. But I did that. I got to talk to this dude who's in, like, some R&B group. I didn't hear any of his music, really. But great dude. And, you know, was in church a little bit. And, and I just got to encourage him and say, hey, I just really think the Lord wants to tell you that, that you're supposed to use your music for him. And he said that that really resonated with him and that he was going to go think about that and, and possibly change the way he does his music. But if I wouldn't have stepped out of my comfort zone, that conversation would have never happened. That would have never happened. So, guys, I want to encourage you. It doesn't matter if you went on this trip or not. You don't need to go on a trip to realize the truth. The first truth that God loves you so much, there's nothing that you could ever do to change his mind about you. And the second thing is God wants you to step out of your comfort zone. He wants you to step out in faith, not because like, you're not doing it to earn his love. That's not what it's about. Like, you could never step out in faith, and God would still love you so much. But you're doing it because that's the place where we're going to find joy. That's the place where we're going to find life. That's where we're going to truly be the person that God has called us to be. So for me, though, the most powerful part of the trip was on the very last day. During a time of worship, and we did a lot of worship, too. It wasn't just going out in the streets. We had to get filled up before we could go pour out. And during the last day, Jesus just began to show me some things that he's called me to do. And those things are very scary. You know, it's, you're, or to my natural self, I don't want to do those things because they require me to get uncomfortable and to face my fears. You know, it's kind of a theme throughout this trip. And, uh, and typically, living out God's will is going to cause you to get uncomfortable. It's going to cause you to have to face your fears. And I came head to head with this reality. I came head to head with this reality that if I'm going to be all that God's called me to be, then I have to face my fears. I have to get uncomfortable. And I think that's the same thing for each of us. I saw just how amazing God's call is for each one of us, and how amazing and scary it can be at the same time. And sometimes God does call us to do things that are scary, but then we respond not by running to him, but instead running from him because we don't want to have to live an uncomfortable life. So for me, during that time of worship, he exposed some of my fears and reminded me that I can only overcome those fears if I lean into him. And the cool thing was he showed me these things. like, you've got to face your fears. But then he said, I'm going to be with you. And all you have to do is lean into me more, and I'll help you to face your fears. So 1 John 4.18 says this. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So earlier in 1 John 4, John says that God is love himself. He is or God is love. God in and of himself is love. So if you apply that to 1 John 4.18, it 
it would say there's no fear when you know God, but God casts out fear. And when you really know God, I'm kind of adding some stuff, but you can face your fears with unshakable faith because you know that God loves you, that he's fighting for you, and that he wants the best for you. God's not going to call you to do something that's not his best for you. So when you get uncomfortable, you may be scared, but if God is calling you to do it, then that's going to be the best place for you to be, and you're going to have joy in that spot. So what God did during that time of worship was he exposed my fear, then he said, if you want to overcome those, you have to get me or get to know me more, and I will help you to overcome those fears. All I got to do if I want to be able to overcome my fears is hang out with God more, if I could say it in a sentence. So guys, there are certain things that you feel called to do. There are certain things that God wants you to do, but you're scared. And I encourage you tonight, don't grit your teeth. Don't say, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try to please God who's calling me to do these things. But instead, get a fresh understanding of how much God loves you and allow that to motivate you to face your fears. God spoke that to me in this way that I'd never understood it before. Like I knew it in my mind, but it got in my heart. And I pray that that could happen for us tonight. We have to understand that, yes, God's call for each of us is hard. Jesus like, made no qualms about it. The call of God is hard, and it can be scary. But at the same time, it's easy because it's God working through us that accomplishes these scary things. We just need to give him more of ourselves. and We need to allow him to work through us. So somebody in this room tonight, I just believe this. And this doesn't, I mean, it kind of goes with the sermon, but I think someone needs to hear this tonight. God could never love you any more or any less than he does right now. Doesn't matter if you never do another thing for him, he's still going to be just as crazy about you. It also doesn't matter if you reach millions of people for him, you pray for thousands of people to be healed, that doesn't matter. That, that will not cause him to love you more or to love you less. Yes, he wants you to follow him and to do those things, but his love is, is not going to change based upon your performance. At the same time, when we or something else we need to hear is when we truly, truly, truly come into contact with this love, then it should change us. It should enable us to do mighty things that, that we were always scared to do. It's going to enable you to give up pornography. That can be scary for some of you who have been caught in that for years and years. You don't know what it looks like to, or to give that up. But when you understand God's love, it casts out fear, and you're able to give that to him. It's going to enable you to stop drinking alcohol to find your satisfaction and to run from life. It's going to enable you to share your faith with your friends. It's going to enable you to make some hard decisions about your time so you can give more time for the kingdom of God. Some of us are too busy. Some of us are too busy. We're too busy to participate in the kingdom of God. God might call you to give up some good things so you can give more of your time for the kingdom of God. It's going to enable you to trust God with your school and and to trust God with your finances. It's going to enable you, you need to hear this, to turn the other cheek and to forgive when someone hurts you. Freshman, you got to hear this. It's going to give you the confidence to pray in front of other students out loud. When you understand that God has his best for you and there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, then you'll be able to do that. If we want to be able to do what God tells us to do, then we have to understand that our doing of this is not going to cause him to love us more, and our not doing of a certain thing is not going to cause him to love us or to love us less. Do you get that? Do you really get that? Is that really in your bones? That if you never do another thing for God, his love will not change for you. If you don't get it, you're not going to be able to follow his call because it's really scary. But if you get that, that's going to enable you to move mountains for the kingdom of God. There's nothing you could ever do that could change his mind about you. You got to come face to face with that reality. When you have this unshakable understanding of God's infinite, just never changing love for you, then you'll be able to obey him no matter what he asks you to do. If you read the scriptures, you might wonder, how did these people give up their lives for the gospel? How do Christians in the Middle East get their heads cut off for God? It's not because they're great. No, that's not what it is. It's not because they gritted their teeth and said, I got to obey God. No, it's because they understood that God loved them so much and that he has their best in mind. So I pray that tonight we're going to actually talk about doing things for God. It, or the title of the sermon is, here, or is uh, being hearers and doers, so doing the word. But I pray that you wouldn't walk out of here saying, I've got to clench my fist and try harder for God. But I pray that you would be so overwhelmed with God's love for you that you would never hear the word again and not do it. That's my prayer for you. So tonight we're going to jump into James. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James 1. 
And last week we read the first 18 verses of James and we talked about trials and temptations. We established this truth. And I hope you took this home with you. This truth that, that when trials and temptations come, we must cling to Jesus, the one who walks with us and shapes us into the person that he has called us to be. So when things go bad, you don't run from God, you run to him and you say, God, you're going to get your plan going in my life because of this trial. God, you're going to be with me through this trial. So that's what we just established last week. If you weren't here, don't remember, James was the brother of Jesus. Okay, so that might blow your mind, like being Jesus' brother. That's crazy. So like reading this text, you have to understand this is Jesus' brother, and he was also the leader of the church in Jerusalem, which was the capital of Israel and the place where Jesus was crucified on the cross and, and where he was resurrected. So this is where the first church was started in Jerusalem. And James was leading this church. And, and this specific letter was written 10 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, and it was written to Jewish Christians. And there's two things I love about the book of James. I love that it's highly practical, like you can take it and apply it to your life. It's not that hard. I don't have to, to really do a ton of study to say this is how it applies because it's so practical. I love that about James. If you want to like learn how to live the Christian life, then just read the book of James. Secondly, the thing I love is that James is Jesus' brother because James didn't believe that Jesus was God while Jesus was alive. I mean, who would believe that their brother is God? Let's think about that. But something happened, something supernatural happened that changed James's mind about his brother. And the only thing that could be definitive enough, in my mind at least, to change his mind would be the resurrection of Jesus. So if you want a good apologetic for why or for how we know that Jesus rose from the dead, then look at the fact that his brother believed that he was God. You know, Jesus was doing miracles. He was healing people all throughout his life and his ministry. James said, nope, you're crazy. Nope, you're doing magic tricks. But then Jesus conquered death, sin, hell, and the grave. And James said, I got to change the way I live my life. My brother's God. That's a good apologetic for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So tonight we're going to read verses 19 through 27. So if you want to follow or just follow along with me, I'll read it. It says, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Just let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We could just sit here all night. Quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to get angry. I need to hear that. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, then he goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, then this person's religious is worthless." Religion that is pure and undefiled before, the, before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. How many of us are living unstained from the world on, or on our campus? It's a good question to ask, comparing ourselves to Jesus. How many of us are taking care of the least of these? James says if you're not doing those things, then your religion is worthless. That's challenging. So the main idea tonight is this. We need to listen to Jesus with an open heart and then do what he says. So listen to Jesus, then do what he says. And don't just listen to Jesus where you're sitting. Like, guys, I pray right now. You wouldn't just be sitting here just hearing another sermon because you're supposed to come to church or whatever. But listen with openness and say, God, do what you want to do in my heart. Expose the areas of my heart that are just held back from you. So listen to Jesus with an open heart and then do what he says. Let's pray over that. God, we thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for these students. I thank you that you love each person in this room with an infinite, specific, unchanging, unstoppable love. And God, I pray tonight that you would just reveal that love to us. God, I pray that you would reveal that you were there when we were sinning. God, or God, you were there when we were struggling with that certain thing that always kind of gives us that guilt. You didn't change your mind about us. God, you were there in the worst of times and the best of times, and you kept loving us. God, I pray that that love tonight would change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in part two, hearers and doers. 
And like I said, the main idea, we'll put it up again, we need to listen to Jesus with an open heart and then do what he says. So if you get anything from this passage, I pray that you would get this. James is pleading with us to do two things. First, to listen to Jesus with an eagerness to be changed and transformed. I pray that you would come before the word of God, that, that you come to this place and say, I want to change. I want to become more like you. So that's the first thing. And then two, you have to act on the change that has happened in your heart. And just like last week, we're going to go verse by verse and break this down. So let's go verse 19 through 21 again. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put, put away all filthiness and rampant, or rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So the first thing from these couple verses here that the Lord spoke to me is this. We should hear the word with an open heart so that it can change us. So we need to not only be informed about the word, but we need to be transformed by the word. So don't just be informed people. I pray that you be transformed people. I want to be transformed. I don't want to know a lot about this book and not be transformed by it. Don't just be informed. Be transformed. We need to not just hear the word, but instead we need to hear it with an open heart. We all know that there's a difference between approaching the word of God in the morning or approaching a sermon and saying, wow, I really want to change today. I'm hungry. I want God to speak to me. I don't care how good that preacher is. He can speak through his word. Some of you need to hear that. I may not be that good, but God can still speak, okay? We need to come with his expectation. But then there's the other kind. When we're really busy with classes, we're thinking about all these things, and we're looking on our phone the whole time. I'm guilty of that. We're looking at our phone, doing our thing, texting our friends. We don't really want to hear from God. Or in the morning, we're just trying to get our or get the chapters read because that's what good Christians do and you can feel good, pat yourself on the back. I appreciate your obedience, but I don't think Jesus wants you to do that. I think Jesus wants you to actually hear from him and then go act on it. So James urges us, he says, be quick to hear. He says that a Jesus follower is one who should always be eager to listen, to learn, to be, or to be slow to speak, to be slow to get angry. He says that Jesus' followers should put away filthiness. They should put away wickedness. Then he gets to the heart of all of his instructions in the, or at the end of verse 21. He says, receive with meekness, get this guys, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So James says, approach the word of God. And it says in John that Jesus is the word. So approach Jesus with, hu- or with humility with meekness, and allow him to plant his word into your hearts because the word of God, Jesus, can save you. All this stuff about avoiding hasty speech, about avoiding unrighteous anger, about putting away filthiness and wickedness, all that stuff about changing your behavior is not possible if we don't have a posture of humility or meekness, as James says, before God where we invite him to plant his word in our hearts so that it can change us. James is pleading with us. He's saying, do not harden your heart, but allow me to write, or allow God to write his word on your heart and mold you into his likeness. This is one reason why I love mission trips and retreats. We go with this expectation that God is going to move, that God's going to speak, and that's exactly what he does every single time. Every single time. God shows up and he shows off. You know, some of you had an incredible experience at fall retreat or an incredible experience at the winter retreat or the mission trip. Let's talk about fall retreat. Some of you, God spoke some things to you, and you never really acted on it. Like, you haven't really heard from him since then. I think maybe the reason is, is you went there with an expectation and an eagerness to change, but you've allowed things to get into your heart, and you've allowed things to harden your heart and to choke off the voice of God. I don't think God just wants to move at the mission trips and the retreat. I think God wants to move like that each and every day. He wants to move as you seek him in your dorm. He wants to move in your classrooms. He wants to turn your classrooms upside down. God wants to move here at Chi Alpha. This can be retreat every week. Some of you, like, you go up to the altar and you get on your knees at the retreat, but here you're like, huh? What's going on in here? It's Tuesday night at school. Guys, I'm telling you, just go all out. Who cares? That's where Jesus moves. I'm not telling you you have to be crazy and jump up here, but I'm just saying, like, if you get on your knees at a retreat, why don't you get on your knees in your prayer closet or in your dorm room or here? That's what works for you. Do it here. Come on. That's open for you. This altar is open. It's kind of cool we have this opportunity. We're not in a classroom. 
We're in this quadratorium. Get on your knees. See God. Ask him to show up. What could God do if we take this posture of expectation that, that we have at these retreats and these mission trips and we took it here, or we took it to our prayer closets every morning, like just me or it's us and Jesus, you know, just you and Jesus. You just say, God, I believe you can speak today. God, you don't have to speak through Dave Leadall or Steve Povick or the dudes at the Dream Center. I don't remember their names. <laughs> but God, you can speak to me. You've given me your Holy Spirit. You've given me authority. God, you can speak to me. What if we had that posture? God is crazy about you. He wants to speak to you. It's not that he's not speaking. It's you're not listening very well. You got all this stuff. You're thinking about the test. You're thinking about that boy who's not even a Christian. Come on, ladies. Just knock it off. You're thinking about all these stupid things. And God's speaking, but you can't hear him. Approach the word of God with a posture of humility. So let's practice this right now. This is just an ordinary Tuesday. But I want to ask God to move in a special way. So let's just close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. I just want to practice this. Let's ask God, because I have a few more points, just like always. Let's ask God to plant his word into our hearts. Jesus, we ask you tonight to speak to us. God, we recognize that you're right here. You're right here, sitting right next to us. You're in our midst in this place. And we thank you for that. God, we know that, that we don't have to travel to heaven to hear your voice. But you have brought heaven to earth, and you are here in Lang Auditorium, in Cedar Falls, Iowa, tonight. Jesus, we ask you to speak. We ask you to break down the hard parts of our hearts. God, break it down. Break down the hard parts of our hearts. Whatever is holding us back, break it down, Lord. We come to you with this posture of humility, and we expect that you could change our lives, entire lives, tonight, in a moment. Help us to break through these different areas that are holding us back. Help us to throw aside our fears and to rush into your arms. Help us to make the changes that you're calling us to make. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you for being a good friend. Thank you for fighting for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's have that posture. So James keeps going. Let's read verse 22 through 25. He says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, then he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So the second point tonight is this. We should not only hear the word, but also do the word. This is the heart of the passage. First, James establishes that that yes, just like we did, we have to approach the word. We have to approach Jesus with meekness and ask him to speak with openness. But now he says, don't just hear it. Don't just approach God with openness to change, but go act on it. So the scholarly consensus is that James was addressing different conflicts that had entered the churches that he's, that he's writing to as people were falling into worldly lifestyles. So genuine Christians falling into, into worldly lifestyles. We've seen that happen before. You know, the Christians and the churches were failing to put their faith into practice, and they were wavering between following God and following the word, or following the world. Some of you, there's a spiritual battle right now that's raging over your life, and you could go either way. Like, you're kind of tossed in the middle. You're like, I could follow the world, I could follow God. That's what James is addressing here. This is the setting in which he is addressing them about not just hearing the word, but doing the word. And James thought it was necessary to challenge his listeners to not only hear the word, not only to know the word, not only to listen to the word, but to do the word. So in a very practical sense, he wanted the early Christians to be people who didn't just accept the message of Jesus, but were so transformed by it that they took action. And their lives changed and their communities were transformed. He argued that if you simply know the word, but you don't do it, then you're deceived. James 1.22, he says, But be doers of the word and don't just be hearers, deceiving yourselves. So James is making it clear that true, or true life transformation and heart change is not shown through simply hearing the word or coming here, although I'm glad you're coming, and if you're not transformed, keep coming. That's good. But also by doing the word, by doing something about it. That's not, so heart change is shown. It's evidence when you actually do something about the word. So just hearers of the word, people that just hear it a bunch, 
but don't do it, are actually deceived into thinking that they have been changed when they haven't been. That's challenging, guys. 1 John 3-5 through says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, I know Jesus, I got Christian on my religious views on Facebook behind all that junk on my profile, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. These guys spit truth. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. John argues, just like James, he says, the way that you know that that you're in Christ and have been truly changed by his word is by the fruit of your life and your obedience to Jesus. Or otherwise, you're simply deceiving yourselves into thinking that you know Jesus. So let's just read this, James 1, 23 through 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, then he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and then forgets what he looks like. So James explains, if we're simply those who hear the word but don't do it, then we're like a man who looks in the mirror, checking out the goatee. John Griffin had a goatee this week. He shaved it, sadly. And so anyways, looks in the mirror, and then he forgets what he looked like just moments later. James is saying that those who truly look into the word or look into the mirror and are impacted by it, they go out from there and they don't forget it, but they do something about it. When we read the word, we should be changed by it. We should be transformed. We should be compelled to do something about it, to live our lives a little bit differently. The point of reading the Bible is not simply to grow in knowledge or to please your small group leader, but it's to be compelled by love to change in your own life and to impact those around you. The way you know if you have truly encountered God when you read or hear his word is if you're compelled to live differently. When you encounter the love of Jesus, it changes you. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So if the word is not changing you, then you need to ask God, say, God, soften my heart so I can hear a little bit better, so I can be truly impacted by the word. James 1.25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So if you're not, if that's not enough motivation yet to approach the word differently, then hopefully this will motivate you. James says, if you look into the word, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation, and you actually do it, then you'll be blessed. This doesn't mean, so we got to get this, this does not mean that you earn brownie points from God for doing the word. There's no brownie points in God's economic system. That is not what it means. He does not show favoritism, which actually we're going to talk about tomorrow night in small groups. Go to small group. But you don't earn brownie points from God. What this means is, is when you live out your faith, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be joyful. You're going to be living your life to the fullest. Jesus is your friend. He's your friend. Maybe some of you don't get that yet. He is your friend. He wants the best for you. Think of your best friend, just like the greatest friend in the world. Jesus is like a billion times better than that. Jesus is such a good friend. He wants what's best for you, and he's the author of the word. He's the word himself, So when you do what he says, your best friend, your good friend, Jesus, when you do what your good friend says, then it will lead to your joy. Doing the word is not going to steal your fun. It's not going to take away your joy. Instead, doing God's word will lead to blessing. 1 John 5.3 says that God's commands are not burdensome. In Matthew 11.30, it says that God's yoke is easy and his burden is light. All of God's word is for our ultimate good. Things may end badly here on earth. We may face death. These guys were murdered. Actually, John wasn't. He got blessed. He didn't have to die. But James was murdered for his faith. He's like the only one. John was just like, I think he did have brownie points with God, actually. But anyways, but ultimately, God God is after our good, and he's for our joy. So Psalm 1611, I love this verse. It says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. In God's presence, which is holy. God's presence is holy. You can't do those things you want to do on the weekends in God's presence, okay? In God's presence, there's fullness of joy. You're never going to get that joy pursuing the things of the world. In God's presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures. Pleasures. You thought maybe God isn't for your pleasure. He's for pleasures, but it's way better than the pleasures that you're going for. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Through God's word, He makes known to us the path of life, 
which is the right way to live. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. There are pleasures forevermore. God's word is not just this list of do's and don'ts, but it's meant to lead you to everlasting joy. He's out for your best interest. John 10.10, I love this. Come on, let's keep it coming. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wants us to live a life of flourishing and his commands are only for your joy. This does not mean that, or that you won't face a martyr's death, but it means that when all is said and done, God will lead you to joy and following his commands will lead to the fullest life, to the best life possible that he planned for you. We must always remember that God wants us to flourish and Satan wants to steal from us. God's commands bring life Satan's plans for us bring deception and sorrow. I love what Jesus says in Luke 6. We're going to keep the scripture coming. In Luke 6 about doing what we're supposed to do or doing what Jesus calls us to do. He says, he says why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I'll show you what that person is like. He's like a man that builds a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose... The stream broke against the house, but it could not shake it. It was unshakable because it had been, been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So if you follow God's word, you can be sure that you are in good hands, that your life is on a solid foundation, a strong foundation, that you will be able to withstand life's storms, Following God's word is the best way to live. And a good way to think about this is if you watch a, a mom or dad with their children, a good mom or dad, you'll see this in full effect. You know, the parents are protective. They want to make sure that just nothing harms the child. And sometimes this makes the child really ticked off. You know, maybe the child wants to eat a whole bag of candy on Halloween night, and the parents say, no, now none of us are stupid. We know eating a whole bag of Halloween candy is probably not good for them. But they don't realize that. That's us with God, okay? When he tells us, don't do that. And we're like, God, why can't I do that? He can see things that each of us can't see, okay? So just think of yourself as the kid with the Halloween bag. And then when you get mad at him for asking you to do something, or maybe, you know, you're thinking about going into leadership in Chi Alpha. Let's just use that as an example. And I say, hey, you know, you can't drink alcohol anymore because we want to just, you know, not that it's a sin to drink alcohol, but, you know, we just want to, like, live to a high standard. Then you throw a fit and say, I'm not going to be a small group leader. That's you throwing a fit. And walking away mad at, that you couldn't eat a whole bag of Halloween candy. And you choke God's will for your life. I pray that we would not be the stupid kid who's angry and has temper tantrums and gets on Jimmy Kimmel, okay? Don't be that kid. I don't think it's the same situation, but there's Halloween candy and they yell. So anyways, do not be that child. All of God's commands have been given so we will flourish. Jesus desperately desires for us to not only hear the word, but to do the word because it will transform us and it will lead to blessing. It will lead us down a pathway where we, or where we become all that God has destined for us to be. And God knows what will give you joy. His way is always the best way. God wants to guard you from sexual immorality because sex is best done for your good inside of marriage. God wants for you to refrain from gossiping because gossiping only leads to hurt and pain for both parties. God wants you to be honest with people, not flatter them, because truth actually leads to freedom. God wants you to turn the other cheek because, because revenge is never as sweet as it might sound to you. He wants you to give your worries to him. Come on, some of us need to hear that. Give your worries to Jesus because your anxieties are going to steal from you. The list goes on and on. Following the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ only leads to blessing. So I would just want to say this right now. We're going to finish the sermon in a bit, but guys, let's be a people who obey Jesus because he has our best in mind. Come on, what are we doing? There's stuff that he's told us to do a thousand times and we haven't done it yet. I pray tonight that you would be calling up to heaven, doing whatever, calling a friend, calling a boyfriend or girlfriend, making some decisions tonight to live in God's plan for your life, to get in the center of his will. I pray that we would be a people who obey. We don't just hear the word, but, but we actually do something about it. I pray for that tonight. All right, so James encourages us to approach the word with meekness and the words of Jesus with openness so that we can be changed. That's the first step. Then he says, don't just hear the word with humility, but also go out and do it. And he gets more specific about just about what he wants us to do practically. 
And he wraps it up in verse 26 and 27. He says, if anyone thinks that he is religious but does not bridle his tongue, I got to hear this, but deceives his heart, this person's religious is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So the last point tonight is that some of you are screaming hallelujah because Jesus is speaking to us and you got homework to do. I get it. So the third point is this. In response to the unchanging love of Jesus, we should seek to live like him by doing two, people, or two things. First, loving people. Okay, so love people. You've heard that. And pursuing, or pursuing holiness, which I think is a good way to love God. So love God, love people. That's the way we should respond to, to the unchanging love of Jesus. So James gets pretty real here. He says, if you think you're religious, if you think you're a follower of Christ, but you don't control your tongue or obey Jesus, then your religion is worthless. If you don't care for orphans and widows or resist the temptations of the world, then your religion is worthless. In other words, if you aren't so moved by God's love for you that you seek to live like Jesus through a commitment to two things, to love God and to love people, then you may need a fresh encounter with the love of God. And you may need to check your heart. So let's ask ourselves this question. Do you love people? Do you really love people? Those that are difficult, not the ones that are amazing. Like all of you guys are amazing. It's easy to love you guys. But to love those people who I say, come to Chi Alpha, and they say, nah, it's not my thing. It's harder to love those people. Do you love people who are hard to love? Do you love people who are difficult? Do you love people who believe different things to you, or than you? Do you love people who struggle with different sins and, and than you struggle with? Do you love Muslims? These are questions to ask ourselves. Do you love people? We need to face that tonight. That's what James is asking us. We need to be honest. And there's no condemnation. The patient king, Jesus, will not change his mind about you if you don't love people yet. You get that? Even if you say, no, I really don't or don't love those kinds of people, Jesus says, I still love you. And that's what should compel you to love those people. And the second question is, do you want to be holy? Do you, do you want to live a holy life? Truly, do you want to? Or are you continuing to make the same decisions over and over again? Do you desire to give up sin so you can follow the will of God for your life? And once again, please be real. God's not going to change his mind about you if you say, no, I really like this certain sin. God won't change his mind about you, but it starts by being honest about it and saying, you know what? I don't really want to give this up. I'm not going to pretend. God, can you help me to give it up? That's where it starts. It's, it's very tempting to read passages, or passages like this and say, all right, James says, control my tongue. So this week, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to control my tongue so well. Or he says, visit orphans and widows. So I'm going to sign up for the mission trip next time and go care for people who are far from God. I'm going to tell Daniel right now I'm going next year. So there doesn't seem to be a lot of people that struggle in Cedar Falls, although there are, but it can seem that way. Or, oh, I'm going to stop cussing so I can be, be, un, or be unstained from the world. Or I'm going to stop watching those dirty movies. And if I do these things, wow, I'm going to just reach this point in my faith where James is going to say, your religion is worth it. I'm going to be amazing. You're just thinking, I just got to do these things, then I'll be legit. If the passage drives you to have that posture, then you miss the point of the whole thing. Remember verse 25. This is what James says. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, <clears throat> into the law of liberty and perseveres, being, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed. So James says, look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. In other words, look at the teachings of Jesus and his apostles the gospel, the good news, and then out of that you can persevere and not just be a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. So in other words, being a doer who acts, doing those things starts with looking into the perfect law, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And what does the gospel say? I'm getting excited because I love the gospel. It gives me hope. You know, Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you want to do the word? Look at the gospel. It says, while we were still sinners, while we were still screwing up, while we were still not caring for orphans and widows, Christ died for us. John three sixteen through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It keeps going though. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And this is one of my favorites. Romans 8, 1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you have to avoid the temptation to look at these lists 
that James gives and, and other apostles give and attempt to do them in this expectation that if you start to do these things, then God will actually start to love you. You know, he loved you a little bit now, but he's gonna love me so much more when I start doing these things. According to the gospel, Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world. We were already condemned on our own. He didn't send his son in to condemn the world, but so we could be saved through him. When we were headed towards hell, rebellious towards God, God said, I'm sending my own son to pay their penalty on the cross. Then he says, if you've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus, if you've put your faith in him, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So guys, what am I getting at? What is James getting at? If we want to be doers of the word, if we want to joyfully avoid corrupt speech, if we want to visit orphans and widows with joy, if we want to joyfully resist the sayings of the world, then we have to have an encounter with the law of liberty, Jesus himself, the gospel. We have to have an encounter with the love of God shown through Jesus. We have to come face to face with Jesus, who's a very good friend, the one who stayed on the cross even though he knew about every terrible thing you'd do. And he knew how long it would take you to figure things out. He knew that. Maybe you're like thinking, wow, I'm taking forever to figure out this sin. He knew how long it would take you. He still stayed up there. This is the one we have to come face to face with, the law of liberty, the one who patiently waits for you to surrender to him and to give, to give more of yourself to him. So throw this up on the screen. There is nothing, get this guys, get this. There's nothing that you could ever do to make God love you more or less than he does right now. Do you believe that? Right now. There's nothing you could ever do. Do you believe that truth? When you encounter that truth, that changes you. It gives you all the motivation you need to start visiting orphans and widows. It gives you all the motivation you need to give your life for the gospel. So there are two main, vo- or two main motivators for why we seek to obey God. One, we try to obey God to get him to love us. Two, which is the better way, we obey God because we know that, that we are loved by him. Just no matter if we obey or not. Regardless of if we obey, God still loves us. He still stinking loves you. If you go out from here and you don't listen to anything I said, he still loves you. Guys, I so badly want you to engage your classmates, invite them to Chi Alpha to see life change because I know that there are so many people on our campus that will come if you ask them. There's so many people who, and get past that, so many people who if you share God's love with them, they're going to respond. There are people who are ready to respond. They just need you. And the reason I know that is because I've seen some of you who were ready to respond and all that someone had to do was come to you and tell you about Jesus. And sometimes, as a pastor, I can be like, come on, dudes. Like, what are you doing? Go share your faith. You're in class with people. You know, I'm a, just a dude. I can get frustrated. But guess what Jesus does? He sees you. Be resistant. He sees me when I walk by the Saudis who live above me in my apartment, and they're very annoying. But he sees me, ignore them at times, and he still loves me. You get that? He sees those of you who are struggling with sexual sin. He still loves you. He's not waiting to love you. You could go out from here and say, Daniel sucks. That word sucked tonight. And he still loves you. When you get that, that's what's going to free you. That's what's going to free you, guys. You're not doing it to earn anything from him. You're not doing it to earn anything from him. Like, after you share your faith, I can be like, wow, I did good. God's not impressed. God's not like, wow, I love you more now than I did before. He loves you just the same. And likewise, when you don't share your faith, he still loves you. I don't know, guys, that truth should blow your mind. It should change the way you live. Let's be a people who joyfully obey God because he loves us. Because he loves us, not because we're trying to earn anything. I'd never want you guys to fall under this weight of legalism because the word can be hard. This message just could have went, just went very legalistic. It could have said, you go do the word or else you stink. I pray that you would never fall under that weight because if you fall under the weight of legalism, you will never actually do the word. You won't. You'll try, but it's not going to last. So the first motivation of saying, hey, I'm going to do this to get God to love me, if you have, if you have that motivation, then it's going to be exhausting and you're going to fail pretty much all the time. You might do it once in a while but it won't last. But the second motivation where you obey because God loves you, it's freeing, it's joyful, and you're still going to fail sometimes. 
But then when you fail, it's not crippling. You're not driven to despair, but you're driven to awe because you realize he still loves me. He has not changed his mind about me. That's cool. The worship team would come up. Let's get ready to go because I'm telling you guys, Holy Spirit's here. He's speaking to us. And I'm just praying that each of us would walk out of here being changed. I don't want for you guys to be the same after this message. Because this message has so rocked my heart. It's changed me. I'm, I'm different. Before God spoke this to me, this is a message, like I was planning on doing this passage way back when, but this message really came on, on, the, or it's on the mission trip. On that last day during worship, God just spoke it to me. And I'm different. I'm different. Like it wasn't like I, I stunk before, but God's taken me to this new place. And I pray that you would really get this. I pray that I wouldn't just be the only one who knows about it because it's amazing. There's nothing you could ever do to make, God, to, to make God love you more or less than he does right now. And that's why we should obey. I pray that you would get that, guys. It will change you. So some of you are going to become doers of the word tonight. But it ain't going to come through gritting your teeth or trying to prove anything to God. You can't prove anything to him. And he doesn't need you to prove anything to him. He loves you in spite of yourself. He doesn't love you because you're great. He loves, or God loved you when you were rebellious against him and headed for hell, and he ain't going to stop loving you now. However, when you come face to face with Jesus, the ferociously committed King of kings and lords of, or Lord of lords, when you come face to face with the law of liberty, then you better not walk away and forget it. But instead, you should persevere. You should keep reminding yourself that that king, he looked at me and he still loved me, and allow that to change you every single day of your life. Don't forget it. Remind yourself. Put the law of liberty up against yourself every day and say, God, I know that I'm more flawed than I could ever imagine. I know I blew it yesterday. I should have shared my faith to that person. I should have said no to my boyfriend when he wanted to do that thing. But God, you still love me today. Come face to face with the law of liberty every single day, and it'll change you, I promise. It might not happen overnight, but over time, as you remind yourself that God's not giving up on you every day, day in, day out, you're going to be different. It's going to change your world. There's going to be a joy on you that you just can't even explain. You're just going to be so joyful all the time. You're going to be smiling. You're going to be happy. You're actually going to love people who are different from you because you're going to be driven by this joy, not by this obligation to do stuff to get God to love you. That's a crappy religion. Now, our religion says that Jesus came to earth. He did everything we were supposed to do. He lived the perfect life. And then he didn't only do everything we were supposed to, but then he died the death that each of us were supposed to die. That's got to change us. So the main point tonight is this. We need to listen to Jesus with an open heart and then do what he says. There's three points. The first thing, we should hear the word with an open heart. So start with an open heart. That's where it starts. So that it can change you. Secondly, we should not only hear the word. So don't just hear the word with an open heart, but actually do it. It's scary. I know, guys. It's scary. But that's the best place to be. And third. In response to the unchanging love of Jesus, we should seek to live like him by loving people ferociously, just loving people so much, and then pursuing holiness just no matter what it takes. So you've each come here tonight. You have your different struggles. You have different understandings of who God is. Maybe you view him more as a king. Maybe you view him more as a father. Maybe you view him more as a friend. We all have different perspectives. He's all three of those things. We all come here with different perspectives, and it causes us to struggle with different things. So some of you, you struggle with legalism. Do you believe the lie that your performance will dictate God's love for you? I pray tonight that King Jesus, our friend Jesus, would come and crush that lie and he would reveal to you that he loves you in spite of you and not because of you. Your obedience does not determine God's love for you. But Jesus' work on the cross shows God's love for you. And then others of us come in here and we struggle with something called are called licentiousness. It's a big word. And this is the idea that, that we can do whatever we want because God loves us. People in the church that James is writing to probably believe that lie because of the things he's saying. And the problem with this thinking that you can just do whatever you want, just live whatever life you want to, the problem with this thinking is if you have truly encountered God's love, then you'll never be the same. You won't be able to, to live a licentious lifestyle. So you're deceiving yourself. So you never really encountered God's love. So maybe you prayed a prayer at camp or, or whatever. You grew up in church. Or maybe you came to Kyle at the beginning of the year. You thought you prayed a prayer, but it didn't change your life. Tonight, you need to come face to face with the law of liberty with Jesus. Because if you really encounter God's love for you that's, that just never changes, that's going to keep loving you despite yourself, that's going to 
if I can never love you more or less than he does right now, when you come face to face with that, that will change everything about you. You will never be the same. So I pray tonight that God would crush that, that he would crush licentiousness in this place, and that you would say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to obey Jesus, because he loves me so stinking much. So just no matter what perspective you're coming from, I pray that you would encounter Jesus tonight, and be just reminded that although you're more flawed than you could ever imagine, at the same time, you're more loved than you could ever dream. And nothing you ever do can change that. And I pray that this crazy truth would move your heart in such a way that you go out from here and you love God and love people with everything you got. So if you would stand with me tonight. Can we be a group who listens to Jesus when he speaks? Can we be open before the king and say, God, whatever you want from me. Can we make a commitment to always be open before God and allow him to have every area of our lives. There's nothing that we're going to hold back. Can we be a group who doesn't just hear the word, but does the word? We don't just gather here together on Tuesday nights, but we take this message outside this room and love the most difficult people on this campus. I want to see Kyle Bassoon just loving the most difficult people on this campus. Can we do that? And finally, can we commit to doing, or to doing whatever it takes to come face to face with Jesus who is so crazy about us so we can do what he has called us to do. We have to come face to face with his love if we're going to do the crazy things that he's called us to do. Where we pursue holiness no matter the cost and we love people no matter what they do. When we do this, when we get this, transformation's coming to this campus. God's going to move. All right, so if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you two questions. The first one is for those of you who want to put your faith in Jesus. Maybe it's the first time you've ever prayed a prayer of salvation. Maybe you're putting your faith in him for the first time. Or maybe you had once put your faith in him, had once prayed a prayer, but tonight you want to make a recommitment to give your life to the Lord and allow him to take control. If that's you, can you just slip up your hands just between you and God? Is there anyone in this room? All right. The second question is this. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, but you struggle with the two extremes, either, either legalism or licentiousness, and tonight you just want to come face to face with Jesus and, be, and just be reminded that there's nothing that you could ever do that could change his mind about you. If you want to come face to face with him, and it's going to take rage in your hand because you have to surrender if you want Jesus to do this. So I pray tonight that if that's you, if you just want to be reminded how much he loves you so that it can change you, can you just raise your hand to heaven? Tons of hands going up. All right, Lord, we're going to pray together. Just, God, we love you so much. How we pray tonight that we would just have a fresh revelation of your love for us. God, I pray that we would know that there's nothing we could ever do to make you love, you, or to make you love us more or less than you do right now. God, I pray that that truth would change our entire lives and enable us to pursue holiness with everything we got and to love people just like you loved us. God, we love you so much. We pray all this in your name. Amen.